The name of the church I pastor is Colmar Manor Bible Church. That was not always the church name. Back in 1936, the church received its first name, and that was the year that it was founded, Independent Fundamental Church of Colmar Manor. That name didn't last but a year. Suddenly, the pastor's brother died, so they renamed the church Richardson Memorial Church. Then, in the heart of World War II, 1943, the church received a new name, Grace Memorial Church. I had become the senior pastor in 1991, but there were two questions that people asked me regularly. Number one, who is Grace? And then number two, when did she die? So needless to say, I moved to get the name changed, and that's exactly what happened in 1996 to the current name, Colmer Manor Bible Church. Grace, people don't understand today the meaning of that beautiful term. God is gracious, and the word grace means unmerited favor. In other words, God does not give you what you deserve. That's grace. God's favor or grace is different than that from people. The reason being, God is infinite. From his eternal being comes no lack of grace. People are finite. They can only show favor to individuals for so long. Not so with God, since he is eternal. In Psalm 77, Verse 9, Asaph asked a question, has God forgotten to be gracious? God cannot forget to be gracious. Why? Because by his nature, he is gracious. Let me go ahead and lead us in prayer, and then we will take a look at some truths about God's grace. Join me in prayer, please. Father, we thank you. Grace is such a beautiful term. The Apostle Paul wrote about it at the beginning of each of his letters and ended with the same, we need grace start to finish. Help us to better understand the meaning of this term. That is beautiful because it shows your favor to us, and we thank you for it. Help us to imitate you by being gracious also. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Point number one, you are saved by grace. You are saved by grace. Let's go to the classic passage, Ephesians chapter 2. Come down to verse 8. The Apostle Paul pens, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Let me draw your attention uh, to the word that, because it says, and that, not of yourselves. Some people believe that that refers to grace. Others believe it points to faith. But may I say the term that is neuter, where both grace and faith are feminine. I believe what Paul is writing here, and that not of yourselves, is speaking to the whole idea of salvation. It is a gift of God. Let me give you a quote here by Lewis Sperry Schaefer. Grace is never, and you might want to underline the word never, 
Grace is never exercised by him in making up what may be lacking in the life and character of a sinner. That is, God doesn't meet us halfway. He doesn't just supply what we're lacking. He gives us everything that we need when it comes to salvation. In Ephesians 2, 4, after Paul describes how dead we were spiritually, separated from God is the idea, verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Notice the interjection here. By grace, you have been saved. By grace, you have been saved. It's such a a beautiful thought when you think about God's grace to us. There was an old Indian, and he had come to faith shortly before death. And someone had asked him about the change in his life and what what transpired to bring him to salvation. So he reached down, and there was a worm. He took that worm, placed it in the middle of a pile of leaves, struck a match. First, you'd have the smoldering and then the fire. As it was encroaching upon the worm, the Indian snatched the worm from the midst of the flames. And then he looked at the person who had asked him the question about the change, and he said, me, that worm. <laughs> me, that worm. That's what God has done for us. We were vile. We were separated from God. And in his favor, he reached out to us, and he saved our souls. And by the way, from Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, it says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Although we are saved to serve God, we don't pay God back for what he has done for us. Grace cannot incur a debt. Why? It's a gift. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You don't repay God when you serve him. It's because of a heart of thankfulness, a heart of gratitude that we serve our God. Because Romans 3 and verse 24 says, being justified, catch the next word, everybody, freely. Being justified, declared righteous, freely by his Grace. So number one, you are saved by grace. Number two, as you're turning to Romans chapter five with me, you stand by grace. You stand by grace. Let me walk you through this. Romans chapter five, let me begin in verse one. Therefore, having been justified by faith, declared righteous because you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice now in verse two, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. I wanna draw your attention to those two English words, we stand, perfect tense verb. It means that you stood in the past and that standing remains. See, it's not because we do good works that we maintain 
our salvation. Remember, it was a gift. We are also able to have a security in Christ. In other words, we are eternally secure, and we should understand that security, which gives us assurance of our salvation. Let me share with you this paradox and try to get your mind around it. You stand because Jesus is seated. You stand because Jesus is seated. Over to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, and just a a beautiful section of Scripture speaking about the mindset of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10, pick it up with me in verse 5, and we'll go through to verse 12. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me, and burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. Don't you love the mindset of Jesus Christ? He delighted to do the will of God. Previously saying, this is verse 8, sacrifice and offering, burn offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, catch that, he takes away the first, that he may establish the second. He fulfilled the law. He establishes the new covenant. Verse 10, by that will we have been sanctified. Catch that, everybody. We have been set apart. Once again, we have a perfect tense verb. We have been set apart in the past with the results continuing. So by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. I love this. Once for all, verse 11, and then pick up on the posture of the priest. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice, for since forever, what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of God. We continue to stand before our God with a righteous standing because our Jesus is seated there at the right hand of God. So you're saved by grace. You stand by grace, and you are commanded to grow in grace. You're in Hebrews. Go past James over to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, and down to verse 18. 2 Peter 3, 18. Notice the command, but grow, grow. It's a present imperative. Keep on growing in what? The grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we are commanded to grow in grace, and then in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How do we grow? Listen to Colossians 1.10. Being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Knowledge here is the compound Greek term. It means a full knowledge, an experiential knowledge. 
it's the kind of knowledge that you grow in a relationship with. Such an important term. So being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. I hope you are daily learning more and more and everything you can about our gracious God. Peter writes in 1 Peter 2.2, as newborn babes desiring the pure milk of the word that you may grow. That's our term that we were looking at from 2 Peter 3.18, that you may grow thereby. It's the word of God as it is taken in daily doses <laughs> that helps us to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now let's move on to our fourth point. Your speech should be controlled by grace. Let me say that again. Your speech should be controlled by grace. Over to the book of Colossians with me for this one. And your speech is so very important because it's a revelation of what's in your heart. So Paul writes in Colossians chapter 4 in verse 6, let your speech always be with what? Grace. Grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. The example of someone who had gracious words was none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Consider when he goes to his hometown of Nazareth, he lets them know in no uncertain terms that he is the fulfillment of Scripture, that he is the Messiah. He read from Isaiah 61, and then he says, I am the one who fulfills this Scripture. But as the people contemplated, think about this with me. Luke chapter 4 in verse 22, so all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. I want to draw your attention to the two imperfect tense verbs, continuous action in past time. The people continually bore witness while they were what? Continually marveling at his gracious words. And then they tried to put him to death, but they knew that his speech was different. Consider as well James chapter 1 and verse 26. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle or control his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Got to have self-control to tongue. Have you heard the story about the three ministers who had gone fishing? They were close friends. They all pastored in the same town. And on this particular fishing trip, they became sentimental. They shared with one another their biggest sin. The first pastor said, I have to confess to you, I have an issue with drinking. Each Friday night, I go out of town to a saloon and I drink. The second pastor confessed that he had an issue with gambling. He said, you know, guys, the money I raised for the mission trip to India, I wasted all that money gambling. Then the third pastor chimed in and said, hey, guys, I probably should have gone first because my biggest sin is gossiping. 
<laughs> okay, let's learn how to control those tongues by the Holy Spirit in order to speak gracious words imitating our Lord Jesus Christ. Because let me just point this out to you. We are going to be so accountable for the words we speak. Uh, Jesus himself said in Matthew 12, verse 36, but I say unto you, for every idle word men shall speak, they'll give an account of it at the day of judgment. Now we want to go over to the book of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy for our fifth point. 2 Timothy in chapter 2, and fifth point is this, grace enables you or enables us to be strong in spiritual warfare. What is it that enables us to be strong in spiritual warfare? Because the Christian life is not a playground, it's a battleground. Let me read to you and pick up on the word grace in 2 Timothy 2.1. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself in the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Let's go back to verse one. Paul affectionately calls Timothy, my son. And he says then, be strong. But be strong in what, Timothy? As you are engaged in spiritual warfare. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Timothy would need God's grace to train men to pass the baton down from generation to generation. That's exactly what we have in verse two. The things that Timothy learned from Paul were to be passed down, were to be passed down, were to be passed down. Process of discipleship. You need grace for that. Then in verse three, you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Paul understood that. In 2 Corinthians, we have a long list in chapter 11 of the things he had endured for the Lord Jesus Christ. It was God's grace, his favor, that enabled Paul to continue in ministry after so many trials and tribulations. So you have to receive God's grace. We are called to spiritual warfare. We are. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about putting on the whole armor of God in verse 11. Why? So that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Satan is highly organized. The spiritual mafia as described in chapter 6 and verse 12, the principalities and powers, we need to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And then, Number six, which will answer the question, our sixth point, where does grace come from? How do you receive God's grace? Grace is available from the throne of grace. Grace is available from the throne of grace. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. In the Old Testament, 
the high priest had a sacred task. One day out of the year, he would go into the Holy of Holies. After he had offered a sacrifice for his own sin, then there would be a sacrifice for the sin of the people. Any high priest who understood the holiness of God never went in haphazardly. Why? Because Aaron's two sons, the two sons, Nadab and Abihu, what happened? Uh, They died. How did they die? They offered a strange sacrifice. So the high priest traditionally didn't come boldly into the presence of God, but yet we are told to do so because when Jesus died, the veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom, showing that all of us have access into the presence of God. So now we are commanded to come boldly to the throne of grace. And I love the term, it's the throne of grace. When we need strength for ministry, where do you go? You get on your knees and the God of all grace gives us grace. So we come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace when we need it the most in the time of need. That's where we come. There was a businessman who needed millions of dollars to clinch a deal. So he went to church. And as he knelt down, there was a man next to him who had incurred a debt and needed $100 immediately. The first businessman reached into his billfold, took out a $100 bill, pressed it in the hands of the man with the $100 debt, and said, here you go. That man left rejoicing. Then as the man returned to prayer, who needed so much money, he prayed this, and now, Lord, that I have your undivided attention. (laughs) Now, Lord, that I have you all to myself. Can I tell you something? And I can't fully explain this, but it's true. Uh, God always gives us his undivided attention. He's intimately aware of every detail in our life, whether it's how many hairs we have on our heads, how tall we are, uh, when we were born, when we're going to die, and everything Uh, in between. That is just the nature of our God. We have his attention. So let us come boldly to the throne of grace. Let us do what Paul commands the Thessalonians to do. Pray without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Why? We constantly need God's favor. We constantly need his grace. And now let me take you to our seventh Point, which is our last point. Grace is received by those who are humble and not proud. Grace is received by those who are humble and not proud. Uh, why don't we begin in 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter, who is a fellow elder, he's a pastor, is writing to other shepherds or pastors, and he gives great instruction to them. Verse 5, likewise, you younger people submit, arrange yourselves under, is the term hupotasso. Submit yourselves to your elders. The elders here reference to the pastors, the leaders in the church. Yes, all of you, be submissive to one another and be clothed with what? Pride? No, humility for God resists the proud, 
but gives grace to the humble. You and I desperately need the grace of God, but if we're proud, God resists us. He pushes us away, if you will. So what do we need to do? We need to remain humble and come to his presence so he can lavish us with his grace. Uh, Let me start to bring this to a close, and I want to show you a verse that has always challenged me and encouraged me at the same time. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Would you turn there, please? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul is giving a defense of the resurrection of Jesus Christ concerning those now that have seen him, referring to the apostles. And then he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. See, it was not empty. It was not hollow. But I labored more abundantly than they all, referring to the other apostles. Imagine that. This is not a prideful, but an accurate statement, giving testimony to the grace of God. He says here, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I. See, he's not going to take credit for himself that he just mustered up the energy to do this but the grace of God which was with me. Paul gives total credit to the Almighty for lavishing grace upon his life. I want to point out to you that grace and goals work hand in hand. Uh, They really do. You're in 1 Corinthians. Just go back one book to Romans and look at chapter 15. I want to talk about Paul's ambition Uh, The term occurs three times. It means to love honor. The implication is to love honor for God. And I want to draw your attention to the Apostle Paul and his goal setting, because he accomplished great things, but he had goals. Pick it up with me, verse 20, Romans 15, verse 20. And so I've made it my aim. That's the word there, aim, ambition, to love, honor. I've made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, now the quote from Isaiah 52 refers to the sprinkling of the nations, referring to the Gentiles and God's forgiveness that would be granted to them. But verse 21, but it's written to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. Paul, at times, seemed very limited because as he continues in ministry, he spends so much time incarcerated. And yet, what's his goal? What is his ambition? It's to go and preach Christ where Christ had not been named. But yet, even as... He was under house arrest approximately 80, 60 to 62 when he writes Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. He ministers to so many. He asks for prayer for himself that he might be a bold witness of the gospel. He had goals, but God's grace is what enabled him to accomplish the goals. It wasn't always done Paul's way. (laughs) God's ways are not our ways. And then to wrap this up, Philippians chapter 3. Are you there with me? Philippians chapter 3, coming down to verse 14. Paul writes, I press 
I press, I pursue, I go after, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. See, he was forgetting those things which are behind. He wasn't going to keep looking back. God had given him meaning and purpose in life. God had imparted to him. Remember what Jesus said, that Paul was a chosen vessel to bring his name before kings. But then who would Paul become? The apostle to the Gentiles. Paul says, I'm pressing on. I've got much to do, but you're not pressing on. You're not going anywhere without the grace of God. Therefore, let us, this is verse 15, as many as are mature have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Paul is the pattern. He is. He accomplished more than the rest of the apostles. How? 1 Corinthians 15.10, by the grace of God, by the favor of God. So grace is received by those who are humble and not proud. Think about this eternal God who is gracious in his being, wants to give us as much grace as necessary in order to accomplish the mission that the Almighty has given to us. So let us bask in the light of God's grace. Let us come regularly to the throne of grace. Help us, Lord, to grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, so we can finish this race well, having run with our tanks full of the grace of God. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Uh, grace is such a, a special term. I'm sure the New Testament gave new meaning to that word <laughs> that was not previously known. So I thank you for that. Thank you for the favor of Almighty God upon us and sending the Son, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins, conquered death, and gives us the free gift of eternal life that is ours for the belief, the belief in what Christ has done. But now that we are saved, Lord, help us to serve you well, for we are your workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. By your grace, help us to accomplish incredible things. For your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for watching today's sermon. Uh, there is a book that is the basis for the 14 lessons, Attributes of God on Fire. Uh, there are actually 10 other fire books. So you can learn more about us at ComerMannerBibleChurch.com. And then I have a foundation, Ken J. Bird Senior Foundation.com. And finally, we have a father and son podcast. We would love to have you join us. God bless you.